1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Chapter 7, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Isaiah 54, 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Exilic Sunday Service. I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's good to see everybody on this very drab and, and, and dreary day. Uh, thanks for coming out. Um, if you're just joining us, you'll know that uh, last week we took a break uh, from our regular sermon series in the Song of Songs, talking about love and romance and sex and the body and, and all that good stuff to talk about another important issue on race and the gospel. And so we went Friday to Saturday to a retreat as a church, and we explored the topic of race and gospel. And our guest speaker was Alex John. Dr. Alex John, he's a professor at Azusa, and he also gave the sermon um, on Sunday on the same topic, and we were super blessed by that, um, as you know, um, if you were there. Uh, but today we pick back up on that uh, topic of song and um, song of songs, and uh, it's sort of an appendix um, sermon series because we just can't get enough of this topic of song song of songs, um, love, romance. It's important that we talk about it as a church. And so for the next three weeks, we'll be talking on singleness, on marriage, and uh, parenting. And this affects all of us. Um, and today, we'll be talking, uh, starting with singleness. Now, 100 years ago, in 1920, uh, more than 90% of Americans uh, were married, and it was the highest it's ever been in our country. But today, in 2019, less than 50% of Americans over the age of 18 um, are married, and it's actually the lowest it's ever been. Now, the data lends itself to the topic because more Americans than ever are single now, and so we need uh, to talk about this. Um, it's an important issue for us because it applies to more people now. Um, but another reason for why it's important for us to talk about singleness is because of how you may interpret that data. So for instance, if you're older, you're from more of a traditional uh, culture, uh, you might think that singleness is actually a curse, uh, one that you need saving from. Like uh, you're not a cooperative or functioning member of society or something. You're not suitable or eligible. And they may say, actually, marriage is the solution for singleness. And you might sound a little bit Republican when you said that. But then if you're younger or postmodern, um, a person of today, uh, you might say, you know what, singleness is actually too good to trade in because I love my independence. I don't like to be tied down. Um, and so actually in reaction, you might say, no, marriage isn't the solution for singleness, but singleness is actually the solution to marriage because marriage is so stifling as an institution. Uh, do away with it. 
And so you might sound a little bit democratic when you said it. Um, but, you know, if you think about the new norm now, because it's, it's more or less half for half, like half the people are married, half the people aren't, uh, you might think that there was kind of a balancing of the norm from traditional perspectives or outlooks to, to a more postmodern one today. And yet, why is it then that there's still this uh, stigma with singleness today? Like, oh man, you're still, sing you're still on hinge, you know? Um, uh, the stigma is still with us, even though there's a balancing of the ratio. Um, and we all feel this, right? Like, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming around and we're, you know, going to be with family. And you get the same spiel every year, right? Don't you? Um, Helen Rubenstein, she's a writer for the New York Times, and in her piece, Is There Something Odd About Being Single? She talks about this stigma. And uh, you can find it in your bulletin. Um, it's the first quote for you there. She writes this, I'm single and I like long bike rides. I finally declared, wondering if these strangers pitied me or if they saw my singleness as the sign of something unpleasant and uncooperative. I had considered happily single, but knew the emphasis would ring false. No reason to emphasize unless you had something to defend. There was something queer about being single, queer in the sense of strange, yes, but also in the sense that connotes a threat to the conventions around which most people arrange their lives. So what are we as Christians and what does Christianity make of singleness? Um, is it a curse? Is it a blessing? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? We'll talk about this um, as we check through this theme of singleness from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then finally, uh, we'll give an encouragement and an exhortation to all of you uh, who may be single today. But first, the Old Testament. I need to take a little bit of time to set this up so that we understand the second part of the sermon. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, marriage and children was the primary way God would fulfill his promises, Okay. You had to be married and you had to produce children for you to be blessed by God. And so singleness was actually viewed as, highly, as a highly unfavorable marital status. And so if I can take you back to Genesis 1, God creates male and female in his, in his image and in his image he created them, we're told. And then right after that, God gives a mandate and we call it the creation mandate that he gives to humanity. And what does he say? He says, be fruitful multiply and fill the earth, meaning make babies is what that means. And then things go horribly wrong because of this thing called sin, but then God has this restoration plan and he's going to choose from among the crowd this man named Abram who later undergoes a name change to Abraham and God promises to him, I'm going to make you a great nation and through you and your descendants, I am going to bless all of the nations is the promise. And that promise gets conferred from Abraham to Isaac, his son, and then uh, to Jacob, and then his 12 sons, and all along down the line. The point is that you need a lineage that you're a part of and that you create to be blessed by God. And that's not actually a bad way to understand all the scriptures um, in this theology that we call covenant theology because God makes promises to his people, but what that entails is that his promises are conferred down from offspring to offspring to offspring from generation to generation. 
which means that the saddest people in this community uh, was the barren woman and the eunuch. I mean, listen to what this says about eunuchs, Deuteronomy 23. It's not in your bulletin, but you can listen. It says this, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting, there's a description for you, uh, may enter the assembly of the Lord. Meaning that if you were a eunuch, um, someone who is unable to reproduce and physically procreate, um, you couldn't participate in the blessings of the community. Moreover, Deuteronomy 25, 6 says this about the barren woman, and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Meaning that if you didn't produce an heir, uh, your name would actually be blotted out of Israel. And so this was a curse uh, for those who weren't married and those who were childless. And this included lepers, because you can participate in um, the blessings of the community, but also that's why widows were quickly encouraged to get married um, if their husbands died. And so singleness, for the most part in the Old Testament, was highly, highly undesirable. But from early on, uh, there are these prophecies in the Bible that talk about the suffering servant who's coming, and it refers to Jesus. Uh, one in particular, Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, is this prophecy speaking of this suffering servant who's going to come. And he's depicted as a servant who's going to suffer and die for human sin and for guilt. Uh, but as we read this, notice what comes out of his suffering. And mind you also that Jesus was a single man uh, with no physical descendants or offspring of his own. And he was never married. But listen to what comes out of his suffering. Uh, we're in Isaiah uh, 10a, and it says this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. But when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. The verse goes on to say, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus was a single man. He didn't have any offspring or descendants, and he was never married. And yet, in his suffering, we're told, he will see his offspring, and he will make many to be counted righteous. You know, in the Old Testament, it was a curse to be single. But then in the work of the suffering servant, what we see is that this idea that singleness is the cause of a curse for you um, is turned upside down. Uh, in the Old Testament, physical procreation was the idea so that you could receive the blessings of God. But we see in the suffering servant that he takes on the curse of the barren woman. He takes on the curse of the eunuch on himself, and many will be counted righteous because of that. And so, this is what the blessing is for the eunuch and the barren woman now. Isaiah 56 says, To the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
Isaiah 54 talks about the barren woman. Sing, O barren woman, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For, listen, this, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Let me read that again. For the children of the desolate one, the barren woman, who is physically not procreating, will actually have more children than the one who is married, it says in the scriptures. Uh, in the Old Testament, again, the way to receive God's blessings was through physical procreation. But in the New Testament, the way to receive God's blessings is not physical procreation, but it's spiritual regeneration. It means to be reborn. And that is a sermon for another time to talk about spiritual regeneration because I know it's kind of a big word. But suffice it to say here, there is a way for a person in Jesus to have life, purpose, and manifold blessings in their life apart from their marital status. In other words, it's no longer your biology that determines whether you receive the blessings of God or not, but it's actually your faith. It's your faith in the suffering servant who we know to be Jesus Christ himself. And this needs to be an encouragement and an exhortation to, to all of us who may be single today because you can have more offspring than I can, for instance, as a married person. Um, you can potentially multiply the growth of church and kingdom better and faster uh, than the married person. You could be satisfied you could be filled. You could be reproductive as a single person in a spiritual sense. And that's a really good thing. Um, Jeannie and I, we have been given a gift from God, um, and we call her Evelyn. She's our daughter. She's turning two, November 11th. Um, and she is the Lord's particular assignment to us for the rest of our lives. Well, at least until 18, right? Um, she is our pleasure, but she also is our duty, right? She's an obligation that we have to the Lord. Um, and because of that, we're limited. We're limited in our discretionary time, our money, because we have to buy diapers, okay? Um, and we're limited in our energy because we're running around chasing, chasing this kid around all, um, all day. Um, Jeannie gets back from work, uh, from like a regular work, Okay, and uh, we usually have like one hour, like one hour dinner, and it's because Evelyn likes to just debrief with us. She jokes at the dinner table, and and we really value that time. That's important for us. But it takes an hour, and then after that, she, we let her run around for thirty minutes because she usually likes to digest her food in the next thirty minutes, and and so we let her run around, uh, which means um, that if anyone calls during this time, I'm just unavailable because I need to watch my kid running around everywhere. And then after that, there's about 45 minutes of bubble bath, followed by 30 minutes of nighttime routine of reading, reading to her and then putting her down for the night, right? So at any time between 5 o'clock um, to about 8, 8.30, don't call me, okay? Um, and I'm unapologetic when I say that, because why? Being good at that is going to make me good at this. 
meaning being a good father is going to make me a good pastor here. And so that's my particular assignment from the Lord. But what that means is that I am investing a large portion of my life and who I am to a couple of people, um, Evelyn and my wife. Um, but do you know John Stott's solution? John Stott is a very prolific and published Christian, uh, evangelical Christian and author who himself until his dying day at 90 years old remained single. And this is what he says about his singleness. Um, Although I have no children of my own, I have hundreds of adopted nephews and nieces all over the world who call me Uncle John. I cherish these affectionate relationships. They greatly lessen, even if, even if they do not altogether deaden um, occasional pangs of loneliness. When I read this quote for the first time, I thought two things. One is he's traveling the world, okay? He has all these nieces and nephews all over the world, which means he's been all over the world. And I see your grand posts. You guys are traveling a lot, and I am so glad for you guys. I wish I could be there you know, to travel and to see the world. But I just can't, and that's fine because I'm married and I have responsibilities at home and, and everyone wants it that way, okay? But it's great that you guys are able to travel and to see the world. And then number two, he has nieces and nephews all over as well. And people call him Uncle John. And you know, I see a lot of this happening in our community where all of you, many of you, um, are uncles and aunts uh, to our kids at church, and I think that's wonderful. And there are things that I can't do for my kid and for our kids that you are able to do because if there ever needs a time, if there ever is a time where I need to talk to my kid about like clubbing in New York City or something, I have a hundred of you guys that could do the conversation for me and probably do a better job. Um, it's a division of labor that just makes sense, doesn't it, right? And I can't tell you, I, I don't really feel like, you know, people, people say about Exilic, like, oh, we don't have like a youth group, but we do, Exilic kids. What they mean is that it's not like big. But you know, I, 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 I don't count that as a loss for my kid at all because you know what it means? It means that Evelyn and all our children have hundreds of uncles and aunts, right? Older brothers and sisters who can invest in them. And I was a youth pastor for a large part of my uh, ministry experience. And let me tell you, peer-to-peer leadership sometimes is scary, okay? I, 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 we feel like it's a blessing that Evelyn is here at our church because there are so many older, loving um, brothers and sisters that she can call um, if she needed something. One pastor writes, once he got married and had kids, the beautiful tsunami of parenting has recently crashed into my pastoral ministry. And I, and I resonate with that because do you know what would happen if I went to every fellowship at the church or if I went to every vision and mission trip at the church to Cambodia, if I went to every CG game night or every this and that and the other thing that's going on at church, you know what would happen? Jeannie would hate and Evelyn would functionally be fatherless. Um, this is partly Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 7, and um, you can find that in the bulletin, when he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning single, 
but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So according to Paul, it seems like both singleness and marriage are gifts from God, respectively. And if you're married, stay married. And then if you're single, Paul actually says, stay single. He goes on to say, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. For the time is short, things are passing. Here's what he means here. Um, do you know how long it takes me to write an itinerary for a date night with Jeannie? It takes so long, okay? Um, I got to go on Yelp. I got to, you know, I got to go on Eater and, you know, look up these restaurants and I got to figure out schedules and reservations and figure out the whole itinerary. It's like planning a retreat for like one person. But you know, uh, and, and I'm going to continue to do that, Jeannie, if, if you're here, um, because I, I, I love her. Um, but numerically, for the kingdom, a retreat for one versus a retreat for 200 plus like we had this past weekend. Numerically for the kingdom, where is the greater potential for yield? But, you know, Jesus said not everyone can accept this word. And this is what he says in Matthew 19. But only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept this should accept it. Um, but I get it. Uh, because loneliness is hard. And, you know, I, I wasn't married all my life. I was single uh, before I was. And so loneliness is real. And um, if you were, um, if you're like me, when I was single, uh, you would empathize with Anne Hathaway, who said in a recent interview, loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to care for and someone who will care for me. And so, you know, we look on the other side of singleness into marriage and we think, oh man, then I wouldn't be lonely. But you know what? That's a lie. Um, it's a lie to think that when you get married, uh, you'll never be lonely. It is true biblically that God has created marriage uh, to combat loneliness. Uh, but if you think that you'll never be lonely if you got married, that's not true. You just need one argument and you'll feel so alienated from that person. Um, and then number two, people feel like, well, this is, I have sexual desires, and that's how God's created me, and so if I'm not fulfilling that part of me, then I'm not really being who, I, who I'm supposed to be. Um, but that's not true at all, because sex is only one of the apexes of intimate expression in human relationships. Did you hear that? Sex is only one of the apexes of intimate expression in human relationships. That's right. Um, it's not the only way to experience deep and passionate intimacy in relationship because, again, Jesus was single. He wasn't married. He didn't have children, but he was the most whole and complete and fulfilled person to ever have lived. Consider Rebecca McLaughlin, and you'll find uh, what she said in your bulletin about this. Within the Christian framework, one body unity is not just for humans and wives. It's for everyone. 
Now, Christians are not designed to work alone any more than lungs can work without a heart. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, Paul explains, so it is with Christ. In a biblical framework, therefore, friendship is not the consolation prize for those who fail to gain romantic love. Like marriage and like parenthood, it's just another way in which God manifests as a- an aspect of his love for us. The Bible is clear that sexual intimacy does belong exclusively to hetero- heterosexual marriage, but the one-body reality of gospel partnership is not a lesser thing. We have this on the authority of Jesus himself, who never married, invested deeply in friendship, and declared greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, it's been said that if marriage gives us the shape of the gospel, singleness uh, gives us the sufficiency of it. Um, Because you know what? Earthly marriage as we know it now, my marriage to Jeannie, and all other marriages in the world is temporary. Because we know in the scriptures that in the resurrection reality that no one will be given in marriage. That's what Jesus said. And so marriage to Christ is actually what we look forward to even in our present marriages. But you know, so is singleness um, temporary for the same reason because you'll be married to Christ just like everybody else um, at the coming of the time when Christ, our bridegroom, uh, will come back for us. And that is our look forward together as a church. Whether you're married or single, uh, we look forward to the apex and goal of all of our relational happiness and fulfillment in our true husband to come, in Jesus Christ. Corey Tenboom, she was a Holocaust survivor, um, and she's also... Um, known for having saved hundreds and hundreds of people by protecting them um, in her home and in the attic and different places. But she was a single woman, um, and she said this of her life. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And that's a great thing to learn that in your singleness, perhaps, to know that Christ is all sufficient for you, right? And many of us will go on to relationships and marriage, but until then, see this as an opportunity uh, to know the sufficiency of Christ for you, Uh, which means do lots of meaningful relationships here at the church, travel a lot together, um, go out to eat together. We live in the greatest city, right? Take each other out, invest in each other's lives, weeknights, weekends, whatever. Uh, Because I see in faith that singleness is actually not a disadvantage, but it's actually a leverage. We know what a lever is, right? A lever is a device that on its pivot can lift heavy objects. And usually you have a shorter side, a pivot, and then the longer side, like a crowbar, okay? Um, and, And when weight or support is pressed on the longer side against the pivot, the shorter end is able to lift heavy objects and do a great work. Well, I want us to think about singleness, if you are, um, as a leverage, as a lever, that you are that short end against the pivot of Christ and his suffering work on the cross, 
And we, the church, as the longer level, lever, because there are more of us, um, with our support against that longer side, against the pivot of Christ, we can leverage you to do amazing things and to be reproductive spiritually uh, for great and glorious things for the kingdom. So the question is this, will you be leveraged on the pivot of Christ's suffering as your husband uh, to do extraordinary things for him? We don't know. I mean, I'm speaking to married people now too, but we don't know how long we'll be married for. We don't know what would happen, right, to our relationships, and we don't know what would happen to your singleness either. Uh, all we know is that we have a God um, who's doing a great work of sovereignly orchestrating our lives for this amazing and great purpose, and your, your, the eyes of faith need to pierce that. I want to end with this anonymous poem uh, to encourage you. And the poem says this. You can find it in your bulletin. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors he worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I just the underside. Not till the loom is silent and shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. May be encouraged today in the Lord, uh, your great husband, uh, to be seen as a leverage for him for his great purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son who is our great husband. So whether married or singled here in this place, uh, may we find ultimate satisfaction in you and in your work. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.